technically speaking, WNTH, the free format FM radio station at Nutrier, which was operated, managed, and significantly funded by the students, was not part of the performing arts department. However, there was, understandably, a lot of crossover between the two. And in any case, in addition to all of my time in the PAD, I also spent four years on the air at WNTH. And I think that those stories need to be told too. In the late 70s and early 80s, radio broadcasting was still very much a man's game. And so it was at WNTH, with station management, engineers, DJs, and sportscasters all heavily dominated by men. But while I was there, that started to change. And one of the first people to smash in the glass ceiling between the fourth and fifth floors at Nutrier's main class building was my friend Chris Polidoris, now Chris Webster, who you may sometimes hear me refer to as CP, and she may sometimes refer to me as DB because, for some reason, at the time we were there, WNTH had a kind of 1960s ad agency feel to it. So, CP, welcome to this special episode of Nutrier Performing Arts slash WNTH Stories. Thank you, DB. It's an absolute <laughs> pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I think that we weren't quite madmen up there on the fifth floor, but we had our own vibe, didn't we? It did. It absolutely did. It was it was fun that way. Um, so I want to start by saying that from my perspective, in a very real way, you were kind of a pioneer. I mean, you weren't just a young woman in a very male-dominated profession at a very male-dominated radio station. You were also, you were an engineer and you were a rock jock. And that was pretty unique at that time. Did you did you feel that at the time, that that was kind of unique? Did you notice that or were you aware of it? How did that play for you? I did. It was, um, it was fun for me. I, I wasn't bothered by it. I was, I wanted to be on the air, I, but I also wanted to learn the tech aspect. I wanted to be able to do my own engineering and I wasn't going to let the, uh, the fact that I was the only girl in town, um, I wasn't going to let that stand in my way. So my freshman year, we were over at the West campus. Uh, I think that was the first year we had freshmen only at the West campus. And, um, they offered a class because they had a studio there as well with some wonderful equipment. And I took that radio class and we learned how to do the very, you know, work the board and splice tapes together and make carts and all of that. And I did that with the notion that, you know, when my time came, I wasn't going to let anything stand in my way. I was going to be able to do my own engineering and I was going to not take no for an answer. And, and I didn't. But that doesn't mean that I didn't have to work my way up when I finally got over to East. It was, uh, I had to pay some dues for sure. What well, was it? Was it was really interesting because it, you know, it from my perspective, I do remember that you were like one of the very first uh, in there, and, and everybody. But it, but it also felt like it was surprisingly normal and natural. You know, I didn't. It, I don't think, and I, I hope you felt like easily integrated with the rest of us as well, because we felt like you became, you know, it, that's CP, you know, that's you just, <laughs> just part of the group just like that. So that I was kind of cool. That. Yeah, I felt I didn't feel like it was a boys club that I had to break into by any stretch. Um, the guys to to a person were warm and inviting. And, you know, we were all into the music. We were all uh, on the same page as far as why we were there. We loved music. We loved broadcasting and uh nobody nobody questioned that i i wanted to be there and that i had a right to be there so i felt very welcome 
I, I felt more at a disadvantage being a freshman and sophomore than I did being a woman. It was, um, you know, they, I, like I said, I had that's, to pay that, some And dues. that's normal. Exactly. So that was <laughs> they very did much, yeah, that was a normal part of high school life. And uh, I didn't start out, you know, with my Friday morning breakfast club spot. I started out on the weekends at seven in the morning. We all had to do for, weekend dues. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I engineered for the late, great Tori Stern. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, got up real early to to make his show happen. And he was he was a prima donna. I got to say, I loved him. And he took his show very seriously. And he demanded uh, high quality engineering from me. And that was a good way for me to kind of get my feet wet. Some of us in the broadcast booth were a little more prima donna than others, and I'm afraid that <laughs> the light may be shining on me there. But um, So let me ask some, are there specific things, and I'll talk, and you can talk both about Nutrier in general and WNTH in particular, but are there specific ex- things about your experience that helped shape or change you that, you know, that made you better as a person in, in both at Nutrier and at WNTH as, as you, you know, in the years that you spent there? I think the opportunities we were given was, you know, at the time it seemed normal. If you showed up and you worked hard, you were given opportunities at Nutrier. Um, but when I look back now, I think, what in the hell were they thinking? They just gave us the keys to a, a radio station. That's something that you know that comes up, and when we talk about the in uh, in the past shows that you'll you'll hear, one of the things that's kind of amazing is how often at Nutrier the students were were given. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt has this quote. She said, "The way to make young people responsible is to throw real responsibility at them." Mm-hmm. And it is kind of amazing that, as you say, they just gave us the keys. People don't understand. There were no staff people up there. The people doing the engineering logs, the people checking the the transmitter, all that's that was all students. Right. And it is. You're right. It's kind of crazy that they. It is weird looking back on it now. And as you say, at the time, it's just normal because it's well, it's the way it is. It's the way it's always been. And now looking back, you're like, what did they really let us do that? <laughs> right. So, and yeah. it, but you're right. We rose to an occasion in a way that I don't think we would have had there been staff breathing or, you know, uh, adults breathing down our necks in the room. We right. Had, yeah, right. We that's... had um we had to forge relationships with one another. And the older I think about some of the giants that came before me, um, you know, from your class that really led the way. And we we relied on each other to learn and to pass down knowledge and to train one another and to sort of set set good examples for one another. I think that's pretty special uh, for that age group, you know, to to be on our own like that. Yeah, that's cool. So let's talk a little bit more about WNTH itself at that time now. Um, am I able to mention the words citrus sale without causing a major traumatic reaction for you? No, I should, we should have cleared that ahead of time. Yeah. I don't want to talk about the citrus sale, but I will, I will. It was, uh, it was the strangest, strangest fundraiser I think that ever it in, in, in the North Shore of Chicago, of all places, and and to, for those who don't know, who are listening to the show, this raised, this was how WNTH got a huge amount of its funding. It raised tens of thousands of dollars in the early 1980s. I mean, it was this is a non-trivial thing that, that they did every year. 
and their quotas and i don't know this has happened for you but my quota seemed to go up like every year did right. did you hit your quotas did you do this did you actually go out and really work on it or i did and uh i took it very seriously in the beginning i may I have too. laxed a little as i got older but um in the beginning i i was scared i thought well this is this must I have be to do this we, that's right this is how we prove ourselves right sell those damn oranges and so i did well, I had a, I, I kind of, I always felt like I cheated. So I'll tell you very quickly what I, I don't know how you did it. If you have a different strategy, you can, you can tell us what your strategy was. But just in case this is still going on at WNTH today and there are kids listening who look, who want tips. So the way I sort of, that I felt like I was cheating, I lived uh, in West Wilmette, not far from Thornwood Park, which is that barrier between Wilmette and Indian Hill in Winnetka. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is also adjacent to the Woodley Road District, which was extremely wealthy, large homes and all this. And I felt like, well, you go where the money is. And sure. so I w- I rode my bike into those neighborhoods. And um, there were several WNTH kids who lived in Indian Hill, so it was less successful there. But I I owned Woodley Road. I had these, these guys would come up and they would say <laughs> things like, oh, well, I guess I'll only take three cases of oranges and two cases of grapefruits. And I'm like, wow, cool. It was that was so that was what I did every year. And it just was crazy to um, but yeah, that they they did that. And and then they would arrive uh in semi-tractor trailer loads backed up right. to the loading dock, and we all got together as a chain gang there's no there's no forklifts there's no you know there's there's a hundred wnth kids in a chain gang unloading two tractor trailers plus of of citrus yeah and, i'm pretty and sure we the child labor laws did not apply we're seriously violated yeah, that's right during, during those times and and then and then of course the, the when you're an underclassman you don't have to worry about this because you don't have a car you, you don't have to deliver but then the moment you've got a car you're part of the delivery crew as well and I, I will say that my car smelled wonderful for about mm-hmm. a week after Absolutely. after delivery. So. Absolutely, yeah. My uh, mom was a very good sport when it came to delivering citrus. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, yeah families get pulled in. So uh, we're talking with Chris Polidorus Webster uh, of WNTH fame, uh, New Trip Performing Arts Stories, and we will be right back. This episode of Nutria Performing Art Stories is brought to you by Gopto, a science fiction adventure story by Dwayne Burkhardt. The book has an average rating of 4.7 stars and is available on Amazon for $12.99 in paperback or just $4.99 in ebook format. To buy your copy today, just go to Amazon.com and search for the books of Dwayne Burkhardt. And we are back. We are talking with Chris Polidorus Webster, CP. CP, I got to tell you, you actually had an influence on the music that I listened to. And I want to talk to you about music production and and, and the sort of mixture between being an engineer, but also being an on-air personality and, and, and the rock jock that you were. I was a lot more of a classic rock guy until and i remember this until specifically you came along because there were no psychedelic furs there was no mexican radio there was no our house and my playlists until you started playing them 
And, and I remember that you were actually one of the people who was a leader in that shift sort of station wide. And, and it wasn't like you were like, Oh, Hey, you guys should play this. It was the sort of freshness of approach that you had that made people notice. And I think, I think it's fair to say that we were all kind of always watching each other, always listening to each other, like, like comedians in a, you know, in a stand-up house where you all kind of watch each other's sets and try to glean stuff off of each other. But it was more like, you know, you did something with, oh, hey, let's try that. Were you intentionally reflecting or intentionally trying to get a style shift going? Or was that just something that you felt was where you wanted to go? I think it was just part of what was happening for me. And um, uh, our dear friend, Pete Farnsworth, was a, huh? uh, a great supporter of that. And he encouraged me to kind of, you know, find my voice, as it were. And part of that was playing what I loved. And that's what I did. Um, I was always very aware of competing with WNUR. Is that what the yes, Northwestern uh, Northwestern's right? radio station? And yeah, yeah right up right up above us on the dial. Yeah, right. that was always you're right. That was our big competitor. And college rock was something that was just sort of becoming a thing. And uh, and I was very aware that, you know, we we could do just as well as they did, if not better. And that was sort of my goal. Yeah, um, I I think we kicked their butts a lot. That personally, I think yeah, you're, you're right. You're absolutely. You know what? I, I had forgotten. It's funny. The moment you mentioned it, I was thinking that. Of course, WNUR was like at eighty nine point something or other, and we were eighty eight point mm -hmm. one. They were right there, and you just and yeah, that that was definitely. I know. I always felt like I I wished that there was like local ratings or something so I could find out if I was kicking their butt today or not. Right, or, right. You'd think so. So I'm going to ask you a side question. And there's a story off air before we go that I have to tell you about this because there's because something happened. So the I want to say the banquet, and I think that this was in the spring. It was either the spring of 82 or the spring of 83. I don't remember. Actually, no, I do know it had to be 83 because Farnsworth, we just talked about Pete, mm -hmm. uh, was the program director. Mm -hmm. So and, and since you just mentioned him, I, a side question I have to ask, can I assume that you were aware at the time that the then programming director who we have just named named was not to put too fine a point on it but essentially in in addition to encouraging you as a broadcaster had a reason for that might <laughs> might have been madly in love with you i think at the time is is probably the best way to describe that i will um i will go so far as to say he was one of my best friends at the time and we had a wonderful time together and enjoying music and playing music together and that's all I'm going to say about that. That's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, I will tell you the the awards banquet that happened that year. You and I were, and this didn't happen that often at that time, I don't think, but we were working together. I don't know if you were running a, sh you were doing a, sh a shift for somebody else before me. And there was a sporting event that was going to go on. So my show got shortened up. And I think Pete called me at least five times to make sure that I was sticking around <laughs> and that I was going to give you a lift over yeah. from the station to the awards banquet, which was being held at Helen gone someplace that was over. It was West of Eden's right beyond Dundee. I don't remember where this, I don't remember the name of the place now, but I did. And, and if you, if you don't remember the experience, it was pouring. I mean, biblically pouring rain. It was an unbelievable storm. 
And I actually ended up, I dropped you off and I couldn't, I had something else I had to do at that time. And so I had to drop you off and, and go. And I only made it back as far as Dundee and Skokie Boulevard. And at that point, my clutch got so wet that the car wouldn't move. And wow. there's like a dozen of us that all broke down. It was literally a couple of feet of standing water. And it was actually kind of a cool thing because had I made it to Eden's, the expressway, all of the underpasses were completely flooded out, like nine, 10 feet of standing water. And wow. so had I actually gotten onto the expressway, I, I never would have uh, eventually gotten home. So, but I, but, I, but, but the important thing to Pete... <laughs> <laughs> was that didn't matter what happened to me okay no. yeah okay you're fine you got Her heart be damned as yeah. long as cp made it to the as long the as she way. makes yeah. it so <laughs> so what do you remember today and now about that time that is like the most special to you about wnth mm. i think it was the people i looked up to it was um the earlier year i mean i had a lot of fun as i got older and you know became music director and then just really enjoyed, like I said, having that sweet Friday morning spot. Um, those were good times, but in the beginning when I was sort of being coming up and uh, being mentored by people, um, yeah, I'm, th I'm blanking on so many names, but I think of the great broadcaster, John Suntress, who, you know, we all- Who will be a guest, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, wonderful. Um, he had an old, well, what what we used to call oldies. I don't know what they call it now at an oldies show. And uh, I remember thinking, you know, that people took such pride in their shows. And then those of us who engineered our own stuff um, did so with uh, real skill. And that, that mattered to me. I think, I think as one way in which WNTH was, has in something that it has in common with the rest of the performing arts division is that, everyone took what they did very seriously and you saw such a high level of skill and that was exciting. That is, that's very true. I think that, and yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a very serious thing and, and people took it that way. I think that's, that's, that's really very true. One of the things I do on each in the shows toward the end is I generally mention you know, something that I remember. And so I will tell you, and I don't know why I remember this, but I remember, and it, I'm guessing it was a Friday morning, and I was up in the uh, in the hall next to the main engineering room where you were you were doing a show, and I remember looking in the little side window, and you're pushing carts and doing your thing, and but the thing I remembered most about you was, you, while you were talking and while you were on the air, the smile that you had on your face, and the incredibly obvious joy that you were taking in what you were doing and how you were doing it. Because it was, as you're right, it was very serious to all of us. And yet at the same time, it could also still be beautiful and fun. And that was the thing. And I think that that literally would travel through the microphone and out to people. And I think that that's why you were as successful as you were in that time, because that sort of that obvious passion and joy that you took in it just sort of radiated through the through the hundred and something or effective radiating watts that we always used to call it <laughs> would would go out uh, go out into the air. So that's that's what I remember. So I, I get to tell everybody that uh, the one thing I remember about the person that's what I remember about you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was um, it was the music. I loved the music and I loved the way it made me feel and I love sharing it with people and uh, and I still do. I still love 
you know, DJing my own dinner parties and uh, my own, you know, house cleaning jams are some of the best in town. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure um, they are. Yeah. Right. So that never ends. But um, yeah. Is, was... Are you like me? Do you literally still do Because I, I still do this. I still arrange playlists and I still think about transitions and stuff. It literally is still part of my blood. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Chris, it has been absolutely wonderful and uh, amazing to sit down and catch up with you as it is with everybody on this show. And uh, I'm grateful for your time. And I will tell you, even though we are recording this significantly before, uh, this show is obviously broadcasting for those who are listening to it now, right around the holiday season. So it's it's appropriate for me to say, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season and that you have a uh, prosperous and successful 2023 uh, wonderful so, yeah so thank anyway you, th thank you and thank you for being on the show and i uh look forward to talking to you again soon this has been my pleasure and uh yeah we'll talk soon all right take care that was uh chris polidorus webster from wnth on nutri performing art stories and we'll be back nutri performing art stories is a copyrighted production of narratives incorporated it is written directed produced and in this case Edited like a former WNTH rock jock by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhardt. For more information or to suggest a guest or sponsor for our podcast, please email info at NutrierPADStories.com. And join us next week for part one of our special two-part tribute to Shakespeare at Nutrier, featuring former thespians actor Tim Walsh and musician Laura Ebert-Brenner. Thanks for listening. See you next time.